I've been so looking forward to this series for the last couple of months, just been stirring and, and sort of thinking together about it. It's called Believe. And the idea is this, that each one of us faces every single day two paths. And on this one path, we can either be fueled by fear, and that's like a wildfire. It's like uh, when a little blaze happens in a forest and the winds pick up and blow, it just turns that little bitty blaze into an uncontrollable fire. We can either be fueled by fear, and that's not just a couple of us, that's everywhere. You look around, it's college students, it's high school kids, it's little kids, it's their parents dealing with all kinds of anxiety and worry and fear closing in on us collectively as a society. So we're kind of facing every, every day in life this path of being fueled by fear or being rooted in faith. And I really want to help us over the course of these days to become people whose lives are not just fanned by all kinds of worry and anxiety, but whose lives are rooted down in who God is, what he's done, what his word says is true, so that our lives can become free from fear and free from worry. And I just want to let you know ahead of time tonight, I, I'm actually very qualified to lead us in these talks. I know that sounds a little bit bold to say that, but everybody in life has a point of view. All of us have come from somewhere. We all are made up by a lot of collective experiences, and that gives us our point of view on life. I'll tell you a little bit about mine. My parents are not alive, and so they can't defend themselves, but this is pretty close to true. My dad was a world-class champion worrier. I mean, he could worry your dad under the table, my dad could. He was, I mean, unbelievable. And I watched it over the course of my lifetime. My mom, on the other hand, was an above average overreactor. Okay, that's the house I grew up in. A dad who's, I'm talking Olympic gold medal winning, podium standing, champion warrior. And I'm, I'm making light of it now, but it really was not pretty to watch my whole lifetime. Mom, classic overreactor. So I'm absorbing all this from birth, and once I can start cognitively making sense of what's going on around me, I start responding to my environment. And so here's who I become. I don't know this until much later in life, but I become a person who stuffs worry. Because I don't want to be like my dad. And so if ever there's a situation I'm going to worry about it, I stuff that worry as far down inside of me as humanly possible, try to ignore it, and act like I don't have anything to worry about. My mom, on the other hand, is a classic and fairly well-achieved you know, overreactor. And so I want to be, in my life, an underreactor. It goes both ways. Some of you have an overreactive parent or, or you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, husband, wife, and so you try to overreact their overreaction, and that's kind of a, a, a dynamic unto itself. But for me, I tried to underreact at the same level my mom, in my view, was overreacting. So I am like the, I'm, I'm, I'm way up at the top of the chart in terms of underreacting. I like to put a positive spin on it and say I'm calm under pressure. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding you. The house could catch on fire, and I'm going to just, you know, very, in a very calm voice say, okay, the house is on fire. I've already called 911. Just get your personal things, and let's go out through the driveway. You know, I'm just calm under pressure. But it's not that beautiful. It's really a reaction to what I've grown up with and what's been modeled for me 
in my life. That's my point of view. But my point of view's got other things in it. When I was a middle school student, uh, the church I was a part of here in Atlanta crashed and burned, and then out of the ashes came this amazing, city-changing, world-changing church, and I saw it happen right before my eyes. And so my faith was built up even as a teenager because I saw God raise up literally out of the dust a city-rocking church just through prayer and the preaching of the word of God. And I sat on the third row and watched it happen. And so faith came into my point of view. I met Shelly, married Shelly. Shelly's major operational spiritual grid is faith. How awesome and grateful am I that God led me to marry someone who wasn't a classic worrier because my major operating grid spiritually is vision. So thank goodness I'm married to someone whose operating grid is faith. And so faith is more in my point of view. Then we started on this journey called passion. And I'm telling you, we've seen time and time again the supernatural, miraculous intervention and provision of God. You've heard little bits and pieces. I'll just tell you one story. Passion, uh, one day, 2003, the second outdoor gathering that we had done, north of Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, May 20th, gonna be an amazing time with tens of thousands of university students outdoors. It's the night before, the day the, 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 the event begins. The night before, about nine o'clock, beautiful weather, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this storm cloud blows up. I mean, serious, heavy duty, not, not yellow, not red, not orange, purple dot on the weather map, right on top of us, on this farm that we were on, and it lightning, it, it stormed, it blew rain, it came a flood, and Shelly and I were in our RV, Two o'clock in the morning, just saying, Lord, please, we poured our lives into this. We've given everything for this. Please let it stop raining. And I mean, three o'clock, it's still raining. Four o'clock, it's still raining. Five o'clock, it's raining. People are getting struck by lightning. It's absolutely crazy. I'm not making that up. People were struck by lightning. Went to the hospital. The doctor said, we're checking your electrolytes. You have been struck by lightning. You are fine, but you were, in fact, struck by lightning. And in the morning, we wake up. It's still raining. A little bit lighter than it was for the last 10 hours, but we go together, we gather our team together. You can't even walk. Your feet are just sinking up to your shins and your shoes are getting sucked down into the mud. And we gather around like, what, what should we do? I mean, we guess we're gonna have to cancel. You can't even drive or walk on this property. Thousands of people turned around and went home and waiting in the night to get on the property and it just the whole thing is a washout. And through one voice in our team, somebody just spoke up and said, I think we should just trust God and, and go for it. And we decided we're gonna do that. And a few hours later, no kidding, the rain stopped, the sky parted, the sun came out, and this Texas wind started blowing. And fortunately, they don't have red clay in Texas. They have sandy soil. And I mean, by the middle of the afternoon, the ground's getting harder and harder. And by the next evening, five o'clock, the same place we were standing, cars are driving into the property on hard ground. And we had the most amazing gathering at one day, 2003. Lives were changed. But at the end of the day, when the last song was sung and everybody's walking away and packing up their tents and heading back to wherever they came from, Shelly and I know that because of the storm, we know we lost some people coming. We cut our budget exactly to the nth degree and we were already adding up where we were in our minds and we were $100,000 in the hole. We had never left a passion event like this before. And we walked off that field, packed our stuff, and flew home, and we were like, well, we don't know what we're going to do. 
we flew to Texas the next weekend, back to Texas, to Houston for a wedding. And at the reception, a guy walks up to me. He says, how was one day? And I'm telling him, oh, it was amazing. The Lord moved. It was so incredible. Such and such a message. And this happened and that happened. He goes, no, I know all that. Well, how'd you end up financially with the storm and all that? I said, man, we're 100,000 down. He said, wow. He wandered off. You know, we're drinking our little punch and eating our little, you know, whatever. And we're just standing there. And about 20 minutes later, he circles back around, stands next to me. He says, hey, just want to let you know I just had a conversation with so-and-so. And he points across the room to this person that I knew. And he said, just talk to them. And uh, they said they, they really felt like the Lord wanted them to commit the $100,000. And they're going to wire it to your bank account at the Passion House tomorrow. So we came home and... The money came, and we were able to pay this person and that person and pay the bills. But the margin we had to live on as an organization was gone, and so we had nothing left to pay our staff or to pay the rent. And for the first time ever in our history, we had like a cash flow crisis. And we'd already seen God do a miracle with the weather clearing up. We'd already seen God do a miracle at the gathering, and we'd already seen him do a miracle of $100,000, but now we didn't have any money to pay the bills. And so, you know, we're just trying not to let fear fuel the journey in that moment and go, well, we're going to have to tell people, I'm sorry, you won't get paid this week, or we're not going to be able to, you know, pay the power bill or whatever. We just were like, well, I don't know what God's going to do, but we've seen him do some pretty amazing things. And that day, the phone rang. And it was a guy calling from Chicago, and he said, hey, I just got to tell you, I am so sorry. I was moving some papers on my desk today, and I moved a stack of papers, and there was an envelope at the bottom of the stack, and it has your name and address on it. I was supposed to mail it to you a couple of weeks ago. It's from my father's foundation, and it was a gift for passion and for one day, 2003. I don't know how you all ended up, and even if you still need it now, but I'm going to go ahead and FedEx it to you tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. And I didn't have, you know, like that moment where I should have just stepped up and said, how much is it? You know, I didn't really want to push it. So I was like, okay. And so like for 24 hours, we're waiting. So the next day, our whole team's out in the parking lot waiting for the FedEx man <laughs> to pull in. He pulls in, you know, jumps out, and he says, I've got a package. And we're like, I know. We take it, zip the thing off, envelopes inside, sure enough, addressed to us, and open it up. And there's a check inside that's dated, and the check was cut four weeks before. The check is for $75,000. And we're just walking around and we're like, praise be to God. There is a God. There is a God in heaven. We have seen like four miracles in the last nine days. And I'm thinking about the whole time. And I know I've talked about that one particular check a couple of times because it, it's such a principle for life. We're over here going, okay, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to come up with a shortfall? God says, here's your 100000 Then we get the 100000 and say, but how are we going to pay our staff? Because we don't have any, any margin. We don't have anything left. And he says, oh, there's a check on a guy's desk. He put it under a stack of papers. But I'm going to get him today to move the papers and find the check because it's getting down to the end of the wire here. And you're going to need a check. I'm thinking about that guy moving the papers person going, uh-oh, probably should have sent that a little bit earlier, but it comes right in the, in the nick of time. That was 2003, and that was one story, I'm not kidding you, of dozens of stories like that. When we stepped out in faith with a little vision called passion, we stepped out in faith believing we had heard from God, and I'm telling you, the whole journey has been carried 
by the faithfulness of God. So my point of view coming into this series called Believe is, I had a world-class worrying dad. I had an above-average, overreacting mom. I got a lot of that stuff down in my DNA, but I have seen the faithfulness of God. But here's the last part of the story. 2008 rolls along toward the end of the year, and I had what was close to some kind of anxiety crisis. I'm talking big time. I ended up in the emergency room two times in 24 hours. And over the course of several weeks, I went into darkness and into a hole, into every doctor in this city trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And I hit some kind of anxiety wall that I didn't even know existed. And it knocked me out. I'm talking out. Most of you weren't around Passion City. Passion City Church was barely an idea at this time. But I was out of it for a couple of months until God started restoring me and putting me back together again. And so coming into this series called Believe and talking about either being fueled by fear or rooted in faith, I'm telling you, I know what we're talking about because my point of view is like a lot of your points of view. It is a point of view of faith. Yes, I have seen God do great things, but it's also a point of view that includes worry and stress and anxiety and fear, and those things somehow are mixed together. And I think for most of us in the house, it's a mixture of both of those things that's living together in our worlds. And I want to ask God to move us from fear to faith in the course of these days. For his word to blow up in us in such a way that moves us on towards lives of faith in him. And you know why it's important? Because there's two big things at stake here. The first one is your sanity. And I don't mean that figuratively. Literally, what we're talking about is the difference between some of you going crazy And the second thing that's at stake is the glory of God. And I'm coming holding both of those things. I am contending for our sanity. And I'm contending for God's glory. Because nothing steals God's glory more than worrying believers who are driven through life by fear. So what's fear and what's faith? couple of quick definitions. Fear, and I'm just laying this out, there's got to be lots of ways to slice it up. Fear is a lack of confidence in myself or others to control the situation. That's what starts fueling fear. I don't know if I can handle this deal. We, we need $75,000 by next Thursday. My, my kids often never, never land, and I don't, I don't know how to stop them. I don't know how to to protect them. I don't know how to change them. There's, there's something happening at work. There's something happening in my relationships. There's something going on. Maybe for you it's just a global thing. You know, we've got a media that you talk about fueling fear. Just turn the television on. I mean, if you, did anybody feel like you just want to get a, like a, a shoulder rocket, you know, one of those things and just blow your television up? Because you turn it on and it's like some people's job is to fuel our fear. Turn on the television. Well, get ready. The world's ending in 2012. I hope you're ready for that. Oh, oops, we made a mistake. The Mayan calendar actually was a little bit different. It's not going to be this year. And we're like, well, thanks for telling us now because we've worried. Some of you literally, we're laughing. Some of us are laughing. Some of you are like, I've been worrying about that. <laughs> we're going to have an economic meltdown. 
We're, we're going to have a global collapse. We're going to have a calamity. There's going to be this. I know we're not living in a, in a harmonious world, and I'm not sticking my head down on the sand, but I don't need somebody to get sponsors to pay them to tell me how bad the world is and how fast it's going to end. I don't need to know that I can't control the whole world. Fear. Fear comes when you think you can't pull it off. And if you're thinking that you can, then down deep underneath, you're wondering if you can, and that's informing you more than you think it is. Faith, on the other hand, is confidence in God to control the situation. Now, we're starting at a very simple place tonight. We're going to go into some different avenues as we talk about believing, but tonight we're starting at a very simple idea, and that is believing in God and believing that he can and is controlling whatever the situation is that we want to be controlling or wish somebody else was controlling in the way that we wanted it to be controlled. If you have your scripture, look at Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And I love the setup of this. You know, Hebrews is such a beautiful um, text, and it's talking about how the old covenant of going through the priest and the process has been replaced with the new covenant of going through Christ directly into the presence of God, a new way of salvation. And what Hebrews is laying out is a strong grace from God through Christ, that if you trust in the saving work of God in Christ, the saving work of God is strong enough to not only bring you to life, but to keep you in Christ until that day in the future when you experience this glorious outcome that God has promised for us. And so that's sort of the backdrop of, of chapter 11, verse 1. And look at what it says. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So it's confidence in what we hope for and being sure or having sort of an evidentiary belief in things that we, we don't see. Now, I just want to just make sure you understand. It doesn't say it's faith is being sure of what we hope for. Oh, I hope, even though I didn't study, that I get an A on my test. Oh, I hope, even though I don't have a job, that I'm going to get a new car. Um, I hope that, you know, this is going to happen and I'm going to win the lottery. And It's not that kind of hope. It's hoping in that the, the God who said he was powerful to save me has saved me. His saving power is strong enough to keep me and to carry me all the way to this glorious outcome that he has for my life. I'm hoping in his power to do that in my life. I am believing him for salvation. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And man, what a great story of the people of faith that comes in chapter 11. But look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So immediately there's evidence on the table. And I just want to say this uh, to us tonight. I know a lot of you are not struggling with this, but if any of you are, you're new to faith or you're living or working in a kind of hostile spiritual environment, don't ever feel um, like you should hide your faith. Because everybody on planet Earth has faith. Did you notice that? Everybody in America 
has faith. Everybody at your job has faith. Everybody in your school has faith. Everybody has a belief system in something. So don't let anybody put you down because of your faith. It is not naive to have faith. It is not blindly living to have faith. Everyone operates in a grid of faith all the time. I wish I could go into it, and I can't, but I had the most crazy conversations recently, and they so affirm my faith. I mean, I'm sharing Jesus the whole time, but um, it mostly it's just affirming my faith. I got on the plane to go from Durban to Cape Town. We're sitting in the second row, three seats, Shelly in the aisle, me in the middle. Dude hasn't come yet to the window. Finally, last guy gets on the plane in a hurry, and he's a cool-looking sort of jet-setter-looking guy. Got on his Ray-Bans and kind of cool-looking, got some G-Star jeans on, you know, and he's got a tattoo running down his neck. He's sort of an, an Indian gentleman, and he just looks hip and cool. He's got this leather jacket he throws on the seat and says, I'll be right back, because the flight attendant told him, we can't put your, fit your bag in the overhead compartment. You're gonna have to gate-check it. And he's arguing, but she wins, and he gate-checks the bag, and... He comes back after going out in the jetway for a minute. He's carrying a few things. He scoots in, sits down next to me, and sticks into the seat back pocket in front of him a paperback book. Um, I come to find out later it's called Compassion and Love, uh, a Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment. Uh, a stack of cash so big that he has two or three rubber bands going each way around the cash. It's about this thick in the pocket and his iPhone. I can't let this one go. I mean, I'm like, wow. I said, this is incredible. I said, I like a man that carries his money in a stack with rubber bands around it. That is impressive. And he says, yeah, it's a long story. I'm a professional gambler. I was like, cool. Well, you did good, apparently. Or maybe, maybe you had a bigger stack and you didn't do good. I don't know, but that's, that's pretty wild. Long story short, he takes a nap. I do some reading. Eventually, we have a conversation. End of our conversation this guy's crazy, amazing, and he's telling me all about how he connects with the divine, and finally he's asking me, well, what do you do? This is after he's, well, I can't get into the whole story, but this is after he's told me a lot of things you wouldn't tell a pastor um, on first visit. And um, then he says, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor. He goes, really? Amazing. What, what, what kind of church? I said, Jesus Church. Oh, wow, okay. Well, how do, you, how do you meditate? How do you connect with the divine? I said, well, I connect with Jesus. And the way I connect with Jesus is, and I start telling about how the Holy Spirit works in my life and what kind of relationship I have with God and how God and I interact together on a daily basis. And I was telling about things Jesus is saying to me and doing to me and teaching me. And he's like, amazing. And then he's just coming back with what he believes and back with what I believe. And we're going having a wonderful conversation conversation. I just keep looking at the money, and we're going back and forth and back and forth. And it ends with him saying, a professional gambler, very cool, very well off, stack of cash. Um, by him telling me, hey, you know what I found to be really helpful? I'm like, no, what have you found to be really helpful? When I meditate, I do what all the great spiritual leaders do. I touch my thumb and my index finger together, and it makes an unbroken circle of energy that connects me with the divine center, and then I can pull in and realize all my hopes and dreams right into my solar plexus and experience divine bliss. It's like, I believe in Jesus. Don't let anybody put you down because you have faith. Everyone has faith. We, we went to an anniversary dinner. Can I tell you one more? Shelly and myself. 
and, uh, in California. And we got to this restaurant. We knew we couldn't get a, a reservation, but we'd been there earlier, and we knew you could sit up at the bar and eat. So we thought, let's just go see if we can get a seat at the bar. We did. Two seats. That's all at the bar. I know now why the two seats were empty at the bar, because once we pulled up, JoJo to my left over here, about 65 years old, uh, PhD, psychiatrist, a Jewish background, involved in the California healthcare system, and having a flight of wine with his nine-course meal that he's about nine courses into at this point, joins our conversation for our anniversary dinner. So it's us and him for about two hours. <laughs> he wants to get signed to Six Steps Records, our record label, for real, seriously. He wants us to come home with him and hear him play music. I said, you know what? I want to be teaching in our church on fear and anxiety. And I wonder if you can just help me out. Give me some insight. You're PhD. He said, well, you know, most of our fear and anxiety, it's all tied into the, to the evolutionary DNA. I was like, what is, what's evolutionary DNA? Tell me about that. He goes, well, you know, back in the day when it was just apes and all the, the, the lower apes rose up and killed the great ape. I was like, I've heard about that. And he said, when they killed the great ape, they felt bad about killing the great ape. So they had a guilt complex about killing the great ape, all of the lower apes that killed off the great ape. And when we were evolved, we still had their evolutionary DNA in our DNA, so we still carry the guilt of the apes for killing off the great ape. And that's why humanity had to come up with a monotheistic God so that then we could solve and satisfy our guilt from killing the great ape. I was like, amen, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I just read a biography of a successful man who made billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars in his lifetime. And through his power and wealth, he was convinced he could control his destiny and his life. He had faith. If I can get this stack of cash high enough, it will save me, it will protect me, it will shield me, and it will provide for me. I believe in Jesus. When we start talking about faith, don't let anybody rain down on you for your faith. It is not naive, and it is not going out on a limb it is completely the opposite. When we're talking about faith, we are building a treehouse in an oak of the faithfulness of God, the God who was and is and is to come, who has been faithful to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and every generation, and we have his past track record and his past performance on our side. We are not stepping out on a little creaky, cracking limb. We are rather building up a home in the biggest, fattest, strongest tree you've ever seen. It is the tree of who God is and what God has done in history and in our lives. That's what the beginning point of faith is all about. The beginning point of faith is coming to that place in our lives where we say, I believe in God. Can we just say that together? Maybe you don't and you don't have to yet, but if you do, can we just get the words in our mouths? I believe in God. Well, Cape Town flight guy had a God and a you know, restaurant anniversary dinner guy had a God. Our, our, my God is Jesus. So if you're on board with me, can we just say that together? I believe in Jesus. 
That's the beginning point of faith. You're like, that's so simple. I know. But isn't it interesting that people who believe in Jesus believe that he is powerful enough to raise them from the dead, call them back to life, make them his own sons and daughters, and carry them all the way into a glorious forever, are stressing and worried about $37. So we got to get back to the beginning. I believe in God. That's what it says a few verses down, talking about Enoch, who was an amazing guy. If you don't know his story, track him back to the Old Testament. In verse five, that's his story. But look at verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him, to God, must believe that he exists. See, that sounds like a very simple thing, but it's a very, a very powerful foundation for life. If you come to God, the only way you can come to God is by believing that he exists. And for us, how do we believe he exists? Well, he actually gives us faith. He opens our eyes. He gives us revelation. He graces us with the ability to believe that he exists. But that's the starting point of our journey with God. We must believe that he exists. And it goes on to say that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does it mean to believe that God exists? It means to believe that he is, that he is who he says he is, that he is all that he says he is, that he is always who he says he is, that he can do and will do what he says he can do and will do. And then to flip that around, to believe that he exists means that we believe that we are who he says we are, that we have what he says we have and that we are the objects of his unmatched and unrivaled love. The scripture says perfect love casts out fear. And to start in that place of saying, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that he's everything he says he is, always who he says he is, and all that he says he is, and that I'm everything he says I am, and I can do whatever he says I can do, and I am loved in an unmatched way by him. I think most of us are living in that tension of fear and faith. It's like the guy whose boy was uh, demon-possessed from birth, and he came to Jesus' followers and said, can you help me? And they said, no, we can't help you. And so he kind of pressed in closer to Jesus, and Jesus said, what's going on? He said, I tried to get your <clears throat> disciples to help me with my son. He's had an evil spirit from birth, and he thrashes around on the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and he's living this tormented life, and I wonder, can, can you help me? And Jesus said, can I help you? Like, are you kidding? And then he says, everything's possible if you believe. Looking at him like, if you believe in me, everything is possible. And the man said to him what I think most of us identify with. He jumped right at that and said, Jesus, I do believe. But will you help my unbelief? <laughs> Don't you identify with that? I do believe in God. I do have faith in God. I do believe he exists. But my goodness, I still need help with my unbelief. I, I do have faith in God, but I still have fears in my life. I do believe God's in control. But man, I'm feeling so much stress and anxiety right now. And in that tension of both things, we want to move forward toward faith. We don't want to be those people who come in and sing the song and say, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, and we're just belting it out. And then the first hardship that rolls down the road, we fold our tent and we give up on the truth because we, we, we believed it informationally. But there's a big difference between believing it 
experientially. And that's what God wants to move us to. How does that happen? Two, two main things and a couple of points. Um, it happens, how do we make that journey? When we, number one, remember. Can you just say that with me if you're not taking notes? It happens when we, number one, remember. That's how you move from fear to faith. Remembering is taking stock of God's past performance so that you can project a future outcome. And I'm telling you, God doesn't mind you talking about him like that uh, he, he, because the scripture's full of, in these days, this is what I did. On this occasion, this is what I did. In this circumstance, this is how I came through. For this guy, this is the way I responded. And God is saying, here's who I am and here's what I've done and I want you to remember my faithfulness in the past. The second thing is after remembering to root ourselves in the words of God. The scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Another scripture given in a context of salvation, but it applies all the way across the board. If you're being fueled by fear, it's probably a good chance that you're not immersed in the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing not just by what somebody said, but by God's word. So we're remembering God's past performance, projecting a future outcome, and we are immersing ourselves in the word of God and rooting ourselves in his word. Let me show you a practical way that worked out in a story most of us know in scripture. If you've got your scripture open, turn back to Numbers 13. And in this passage, Moses is sending out the 12 scouts into the promised land. Anybody remember this story uh, from days of old? God had promised Israel that he was gonna give them a spacious land to live in when they came out of bondage in Egypt. And now they're through the Red Sea, God has delivered them, miraculous process of God leading them out, and God's getting ready now to set them up to go into this land that he's promised he's gonna give them. And then here's what he says in verse one of chapter 13, Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Cana, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And these are their names. And it lists these 12 guys. And then they were sent out, it says, for 40 days to go and investigate the land. Now what happens here is exactly what happens to us. And we can learn so much from it. The first thing that happened to them when they went to scout out this land was that they they saw how great it was, but then immediately they saw how big the armies were and how fortified the cities were, and they became afraid. They started getting scared, and the fear started building as one talked to the other. Did you see those people? Did you see how big they are? Did you see how armed they are? Did you see how thick the walls of the city were? How are we gonna, and the fear just started fueling more fear, more fear, more fear, more fear, and they came back and gave a report to Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel, and they said, we should not do this. Their fear paralyzed them from believing what God said he was gonna do. If you don't remember what God said he was gonna do, go back a few pages to Exodus chapter three and listen to God saying to Moses what he's gonna do. I mean, it cannot be any more clear than this. It says in verse seven, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then here comes the double hyphen and the full disclosure, because God doesn't want to hide any punches. He said, it is home of the Canaanites, and they were like, uh-oh, we've heard of them, the Hittites, trouble, the Amorites, oh my goodness, the Perizzites, scary, the, the Hivites, ooh, the Hivites are there too, and the Jebusites. Now you're reading that going, that's a bunch of gibberish to me. That was like saying to them, the biggest, baddest, fiercest foes, they live there. And they're like, they just stopped right there. Moses just froze right there. He's, he's thinking in his mind, the Hittites? Why are you leading us to a land with the Hittites? Have you seen the Hittites? Do you know about the Hittites? Have you heard the history of the Hittites? I mean, come on. Could you not have picked a land that didn't have the Hittites in it? I mean, this would have been great if you said, I'm leading you to an amazing, spacious land, and there are no conflicts. You're just going to tiptoe in there and set up shop. But you know, God never does that. Why? Because as soon as he did, we would bail out on him, and we'd start becoming self-sufficient and and self-sustaining, and we'd forget about who he was and who, who we were supposed to be connected to. So he's like, I'm giving you a great land, but there's going to be some challenges in there because I don't want you to forget, and I want you to see me do some amazing things, something to tell your kids about. Remember the day he crushed the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites? And so verse 9, now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are pressing them, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. That's like saying, you know, that you're single-handedly going to go up against the most powerful Man on earth. And Moses, is, he's frozen in his brain right here. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So what was Moses' first response? Same as 10 of these scouts who went in to check out this abundantly beautiful, fierce, inhabited land. Fear. The first thing I want us to get our heads around and these couple of little steps as we come to a close is that fear is the natural response. It's the natural response. So when you face up to, you know what, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this semester. I, I don't know what's going to happen. My parents, are, their relationship's blowing apart. My business is literally going under. Um, there, there's a calamity going on in our family. Uh, somebody, you know, the, the situations are huge. And your first response is going to be, Fear, and when fear comes, that's a natural response. Moses responded with fear, verse 11. He's got the God of the ages talking to him about what the God of the ages is gonna do, and his response is fear. So don't be afraid if you're responding in fear. You're not the first one who's ever let God down. It is the natural human response. Moses says, verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he's stuttering the whole time he's saying it. And if you don't know the background and the history, Moses already had a, a sort of a bad turn of events with the pharaohs in Egypt. Going back there is not a good plan. He's old. He's beyond his prime. He can't hardly talk. And he's supposed to go to the most powerful man in the world and demand that he let the Israelites go. And he's like, I don't see that happening. And so then God responds with his anti-fear uh, campaign for Moses. He has a little, a little course that he wants him to go through to boost up his confidence. And here it is in verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, period. That's the anti-fear campaign. Oh, did I leave that part out, Moses? I'm sorry. I'm going to go also. I'll be with you. 
So what happens is, when we see an obstacle, you know, these, these uh, scouts came back in the middle of chapter 13, and they said, man, the people were so big. We, we, we look so tiny. Their cities were so armed. Even the descendants of Anak are in the land, like, ooh. And from their point of view, it was overwhelming, and they were afraid. And from your point of view, it's going to be overwhelming, and you're going to be afraid. And when you're afraid, don't get down on yourself for being afraid. Just say, you know what? I'm afraid. I'm going to say it out loud. I see the obstacle. I see the challenge. I see the difficulty, and I'm afraid. But fear doesn't come from God, so I'm not going to stop right there and be afraid. I'm going to keep this conversation going for a second. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear doesn't come from God. This is coming out of my DNA root stream from my, my worrying champion father, my overreacting mom, and the way I process that all my life, and the fact that I am here now, I have a different choice, and so I'm looking at the fear, I'm saying it's fear, I'm naming that it's fear, I'm saying it's anxiety, you are worry, that's who you are, but here's what the deal is going to be. I'm not going to let the fear talk to me, and then just sit here, I'm going to start talking back to the fear. I'm going to start talking back to the fear. You cannot let fear do all the talking. For me... This anxiety thing, it didn't just poof and go away. It's still hanging around. It's kind of over there somewhere, and every now and then it kind of creeps back in going, hey, we're coming back. And I'm like, hello, you're anxiety. You are not from God. You're fear. You're not from God. You're worried. You don't come from God. And here's the thing. You maybe try to talk to me, but I'm going to try talking back to you, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to remember God's faithfulness in the past, and I'm going to remember God's word. I'm going to tell you about all that God's done in the past, and I'm going to tell you about the promises of God in this word. I'm going to start building up a foundation of faith in my life. Here comes the fear. Oh, hello, fear. You're fear. You are not from God. That must mean you're from somewhere else, and you know where that is. And so I'm going to tell you I believe in the faithfulness of God. By the way, he created the heavens and the earth. Look around. If he did that with nothing, he can do something with all of this. I'm putting my first brick down. God is the creator of the universe. He also raised me up from the dead. Save me from death to life through Jesus Christ. I'm eternally alive in Jesus Christ. I'm putting another brick down, and I'm putting some mortar between them of the word of God, the faithfulness of God. I am not going to just let the fear tell me how the future's going to play out. I'm going to tell the fear that I remember, I remember, God's been faithful to me. The second little step in this, you gotta be careful who you hang around. If you wanna transition from a life fueled by fear to one rooted in faith, because a whole lot of people on this planet are living over here. Twelve scouts went into this land, and ten of them came back in solidarity. We can't do it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, what are you guys talking about? You are crazy. We are going to do it. But the majority won the day, even with Moses, who had the word of God. He put that brick down and he picked up one called majority thinking and he put it down. 
And all 10 of those scouts died and their whole generation for 40 years wandered in the desert and died. And God's glory was gone because his people doubted his power. And only after that generation was gone and Moses had died did Joshua and Caleb lead God's people to do exactly what God said he was gonna do in the first place. If your whole circle of people in your little Facebook world or your little texting world or your little who you go to when you're stressing out over things, if it's all a collection of majority thinking people, then all it's gonna do is undermine your confidence. They're gonna try to either tell you how to solve it or you what you should do or what they would do in a similar situation or they're gonna go, oh, I can't believe that or oh my goodness, what if this happens? And they're, they're not gonna help you. You've gotta find at least one or two people around you. They're not pie in the sky like you walk in and say, I just believe God for a miracle today. Oh, I believe it's gonna happen in Jesus' name. You know, it's not that kind of craziness I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who when you come in and you are under fire and under the gun and you're stressing out and worries creeping in and fears raging in your heart, they step into your world and go, hey, I, I just, I'm glad you came to me. I wanna remind you, do you remember that time we were praying about that deal that was happening with your family and God came through? Man, let's start there. And let's just remember that for a minute. Do you remember that time your brother was in the hospital and, and God answered our prayers? Let's just remember that. And hey, let's just remember that we're born again and alive in Christ. Let's don't forget that, that God was powerful enough to raise us up from the dead. And they start saying, hey, let's think about what God has done and let's remember him and let's get in his word and let's get a hope and let's get a verse. Let's get a promise that we can root our lives in. You need people speaking faith over your life. I'm not talking some kind of a, you know, yeah, whatever, 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 kind of pie in the sky kind of faith. I'm talking about people who are solidly rooted in hope. And when you're feeling like you're going under, they just step in and they just start pouring faith over you. Remember God. He's going to come through. He's going to hold on to you. He can solve this. He's got all of this under control. You got to make sure there's a Joshua in your life. That there's a Caleb and a Joshua going together. And you know what? Sometimes you need that person, but sometimes God needs you to be that person. I mean, we, we were listening to a band the other night, just random circumstance, and ran into somebody I know well, and Shelly and I were talking, and the person said, I've just been under so much anxiety and so much attack, and I'm sitting there sitting on this word. I'm like, okay. Well, I'm not your pastor, but here I go. I just wanna let you know that God has got you. I wanna let you know that God is in your house. I want you to know that God, the God of angel armies, is on your side. I want you to know that you don't have to doubt or fear or worry. And I mean, I'm like, I know sometimes I do, but right now, I'm feeling confident about what I'm supposed to be in your life. Sometimes you need that person. The other time, you need to be that person. And too many times, come on, we just sort of shrink back with, oh, that's terrible. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, that's awful. Oh, I'll pray for you. Instead of stepping up and going, hey, you know what? I've been through some hard things too and I have found God faithful and so have you. Let's just remember that. And let's talk to the fear. You wanna talk to the fear together? Let's do it. In the name of Jesus, let's start talking to the anxiety. 
And let's tell the anxiety, there's not room enough in this phone booth for two people. It's either fears in here or anxiety. Anxiety's in here, fears in here, worries in here, or God Almighty's in here. Everybody can't be in here together, so anxiety, you're gonna have to step out, thank you very much, because God is with us. You're like, that just sounds like so much positive thinking. No, that sounds like truth to me. It sounds like truth. It's speaking truth. It's at some point, yes, I'm afraid. That's natural. I got a Joshua in my life, though, and he's speaking faith into me. And then I make that decision that I'm going to shift gears from the natural to the supernatural. I'm going to shift gears from my natural human response, which is fear, to the supernatural. You know, what it says in Exodus 33 is that when Moses went out in the camp of the Israelites and he met with God in the tent of meeting, that the cloud of God's glory came and covered the tent. And Moses went in alone to intercede for the people before God. And all of Israel, it said, stood at their tents and looked at that tent. All these leaders had seen the cloud, all 12 of them. But for 10 of them, it was information. For two of them, it was transforming. It says, and when Moses had met God, check it out, Exodus 33, when Moses had met with God, he returned to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, the son of Nun, would not leave the tent. So when he got older, of course they called on him from his tribe to be one of the scouts to go in the land. And when he saw the city, he's like, no kid that's big. You guys are right. That's fierce. But I remember when I was little and the cloud of the glory of God came down on the tent and those people have never seen the cloud of the glory of God coming down before. When the cloud of the glory of God comes down on their city, the Hittites are gonna freak out when they feel the weight of the cloud in the covering of the glory of God. They will be on the floor on their faces and we will walk in and take their weapons and take their city from them. I have seen God's glory and I'm going to shift from the natural, which is fear, to the supernatural, which is remembering the day the cloud came down over the tent. I'm putting that in my wall right now. I know you weren't there because when Moses came back, all the rest of y'all went back to whatever y'all were talking about, but I couldn't get over the fact that the glory of God came down and covered the tent, and I just stayed there staring at it for a while, and it burned into my heart, and it made me confident in belief in who God is. I believe he exists, that he is who he says he is, that he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. I'm putting another brick in there. Thank you very much. We are gonna take this land. We're gonna take this land. That's shifting from the natural to the supernatural, and remembering that we're connected to God. We, we saw the Red Sea part, for crying out loud. That's what, that's what Joshua was telling him. Caleb, do you not remember when the Red Sea parted? Hello? The dry ground thing, we crossed over, the sea crossed back in, and Pharaoh and all the armies were dead? The cloud in the daytime, the fire in the nighttime, you remember that, the man that came down, the quail? Do you not remember all this? We've seen enough to believe God right here and right now. I'll close and show you this. We went to San Francisco 
was on that same thing. We met that guy for our anniversary dinner. And um, I told you before, I have location anxiety. So um, I wanted to make sure while we were in San Francisco for a very short period of time that we had a view of the Golden Gate Bridge. So I was checking online, this right, okay, it's Bay Bridge view, okay, that's cool, but I want Golden Gate Bridge view. Finally got the right room, called the hotel, double check, yes, so we get there, check in the desk, and I'm like, hey, just double checking, triple checking, quadruple checking, and we have the view of the Golden Gate Bridge, right? But he says, oh, you're that guy, okay, apparently there's a note in here on the computer that you've called nine times about the view, <laughs> yes, we've upgraded you to a better view, it's like, Thank you. <laughs> we get in the elevator. We're on about the 33rd floor, and I'm just fired up all the way up. I'm thinking, it's going to be great. It's going to be, ah. We open the door. They've already got the, the, the drapes are drawn. The Bose in-room stereo is blaring that annoying music. And we walk in the room, and this is what we saw right here. This is, I took a picture of it. Do you, do you notice the sun shining everywhere else? Do you notice it's blue sky everywhere else? I thought, well, you know, we're going to be here two days. We came back after lunch, opened the door. Let's, let's go check out before dinner. Open the door. I bet in the morning, wake up. Two days. We did get this. <laughs> and that was fleeting right there. <laughs> that one like, oh, I see it. It's like, oh, quick, grab the camera. Oh, I got it. I got it. Oh, I got it. Yeah, I got it. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Atlanta, I remember really clearly in middle school having a textbook of, of, of American uh, U.S. geography history, but it had a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge, and I remember it was a two-page spread, and I just was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I've just been driving over the Chattahoochee River Bridge on 75 all my life. I mean, like that, <laughs> it's awesome. But that's, it's thousands of miles away. But when, in the late 70s, I road tripped it with a buddy of mine one summer, and we drove on the Golden Gate Bridge, and I, I'll never forget that moment. <sighs> this is so and I've been back to San Fran a couple of dozen times probably since then. I've walked on it. I've jogged on it. I've gone under it in a boat. I've flown over it. I've been north, been south. So I knew it was there. So much so that on the second day, toward the end of the day, are you ready for this? I said to Shelly, well, what do you want to do? She said, well, I want to drive to that place. You remember so-and-so, and it's over in Marin County, which is on the north side of San Francisco, and I said, well, let's do it. Let's go drive across the Golden Gate Bridge and, and go to Marin County. She's like, yeah, let's do that. So we're starting to pack up, and then I'm like, wait a minute. We're going to drive across a bridge that we can't see. And we did. Here, here we are. No kidding. It's, it's, it's like a tunnel of cloud just in the bridge. But we kept going. And lo and behold, before we got to the other side, <laughs> exact same trip. 
I said to Shelly, you know what? We should build a hotel over on that mountain over there. And we'll sell it out. Real Golden Gate Bridge views. Guaranteed. Because apparently this happens like all the time. And, and I loved it. We laughed. We drove on up into Marin County. And the whole time we're driving, we're just sitting there going, isn't this awesome? This is our life. Our life is, we know there's a bridge there. So when the clouds rolled in and for a day and a half, we didn't even see the top of it sticking out, we did not say to each other, oh my goodness, the Golden Gate Bridge is gone. We just said we can't see it. But we believe it's there. And then we're going to go drive on it. We're so confident it's there, we're going to take the bridge to Marin County. Let's go. And we got to it. We could see it right when we got up to it. We're like, we're going on it. It's a big difference between coming to a, a big obstacle that you, you want to fear and saying, you know what? I can't see God, but I'm definitely not gonna say there isn't a God because I have experienced him in the past and I'm confident that he is the same God in the present. You know how powerful that is for you? You say, come on, friends, get in the car. We're gonna drive on God right now. Oh, I can't see him, but I'm, I know he's there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust in God right now. I cannot see God right now, but I believe in God right now. Let's drive our lives on his faithfulness and believe in him. And that's the story of faith. It's beginning at that place of saying, God is, and he is for me. I'm gonna close with this verse and I'm giving it to you in the New American Standard Version. So go on your phone or your computer if you don't have an NASV, which not hardly anybody does anymore, and search out this verse, Isaiah 41, verse 10, New American Standard Version, because I, I want all of us to memorize it this week. When we come back next week, we're gonna say it from memory. It's gonna be awesome. gonna be old school, like Vacation Bible School. It's gonna be incredible. We're gonna all do it together. And the folks who weren't here uh, tonight, next week, are gonna feel so left out, and you're gonna feel so spiritual. You're just gonna be looking at them like, uh-huh, I got this. I don't know what you've been doing all week, but I've been memorizing scripture. And we, I'm serious. We're all gonna memorize it. 11, 4, 6, 45, and we're gonna bring this together. And I want us to remember God's faithfulness, and I want us to root in his word. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. <laughs> That's my uh, fear-fighting seminar. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Don't be looking for somebody else to come and bail you out. I'm going to bail you out. Don't be looking up to somebody else to come and say, oh, I got this one for you. I got you. Don't be anxiously looking and searching and hoping and trying to add it all up again. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, the truth of the matter is, for almost everybody here, that we've seen enough of Jesus, have we not? 
I mean, how many of you, you would say that tonight? Louis, I've seen Jesus' faithfulness in the past. And I've seen enough of him in the past to trust him in the present. Anybody? Oh, I haven't seen everything I thought I would see. I couldn't see the bridge a third of the time. But I've seen God do enough. drive on him right here, right now. And so I'm going to say to the fear, thank you. I've seen Jesus and I'm going to drive out in confidence that he is with me. The end. What's your great theological answer to when you're fearful and have anxiety? (laughs) You ready? God is with me. Period. The end. God is with me. So I'm not going to anxiously look about for something else because he's my God and he's got me and he's got you. He's got you. Tell the fear that God has me. You don't get me because God already has 